Welcome, and thank you for listening to Sandy Creek Stirrings. I'm your host, Joshua Jimenez. And if you're going to win souls, you've got to love souls. In spite of their meanness, in spite of the way they look, in spite of everything, you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them, because Jesus loved them, and because Jesus died for them, and you're trying to bring them to the Son of God. The Bible says in Psalm 84, 11, my last verse, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I based my whole life on that, that it pays to serve God, and I believe that with all my heart. God has given us a guidebook. God has given us a directional map. And that guidebook, that map, is the precious Word of God. Listen, don't just go and sit in the pew. Find some way to serve and serve as a family. Be a part of everything at church. And when you learn to love what God loves, um, your children will learn to love it as well. Homes are not that spiritually strong. We're getting overtaken by the world quickly, but unfortunately, we're pumping all the sewage in. You know, we're letting the world in when that ought to be a haven. There have been many times where people have asked me about the Apocrypha. Now, some have no idea what the Apocrypha is, but for many who came from the Catholic Church, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, most people don't see the Apocrypha today, unless they they are Catholic, um, because the Catholic Bible includes the Apocryphal books in their Bible. And so many people have asked, you know, should we have the Apocrypha? Should we read it? Should it be within Scripture? And uh, what's the truth regarding the Apocrypha? It's a great question, and I want to answer that today, give you some more info on the Apocrypha. Before I do, though, let me encourage you, if you would go on Facebook and share one of our Facebook posts to help get those episodes out to more listeners. We just released, it would have been last week sometime, We released a little um, teaser video, a little commercial video, a little advertisement video for Sandy Creek Stirrings, just something a little interesting. And so we put that out there. If you'd share that and help it to get out to more people, and so that way more people can find Sandy Creek Stirrings and enjoy the content that you get to enjoy on a twice-weekly basis. Now let's jump right in and forget the rest of the stuff that we normally talk about, and let's jump into the Apocrypha. Now, the Apocryphal books were written during, and from what I'm finding as I study along, they're written during the 200 years before Christ, and basically kind of 100 years following the birth of Christ. In 1546, at the Council of Trent, the Catholic Church chose to accept these apocryphal books as inspired scripture. And so they decided that the following book should be included as inspired scripture and should be included within the Bible. They chose these books, uh, First Esdras, Second Esdras, Tobit, Judith, Wisdom of Solomon, Ecclesiasticus or Sirach, Baruch and the Letter of Jeremiah, The Prayer of Manasseh, First Maccabees and Second Maccabees, Greek additions to Esther, and several additional selection or sections of Daniel including the prayer of Azariah, the song of the three young men, Susanna, and Bell and the dragon. So the Catholic Church voted to accept these scriptures and made this proclamation after their decision. They declared everyone anathema, which means to be eternally condemned, who does not accept a sacred scripture, and I quote from their their council, who does not accept as sacred and canonical the aforesaid books, the Apocrypha, in their entirety and with all their parts. They said, you are anathema if you don't accept these as inspired scripture. 
Just very interesting. So the question is, though, should the Apocrypha be included within our Bibles? Is the, is the Apocrypha, is it inspired Scripture? So let's approach this subject, as always, with facts. So number one, on facts about the Apocrypha, and we're really asking that question, is it Scripture? Is it inspired Scripture? Should we read it? Is it part of the Bible? Number one, of over 250 references to the Old Testament— over 250 references to the Old Testament writings and other books cited, the Apocrypha is never quoted within the New Testament. It would seem that if the writers quote almost every other faction of the Old Testament, I mean, they quote from the books of history, they quote from the books of the law, they quote from the books of poetry, they quote from the books of prophecy, over 250 references to the Old Testament, then they would have at least quoted once. If the Apocrypha was Scripture, they would have at least quoted it once. Yet the New Testament writers never quoted from it one time. Let me ask you this. If these historical writings, the Apocrypha, were considered by the Catholic Church to be inspired scripture, why then would the New Testament writers avoid using it? They never mentioned it one time. Never did. Why would they not mention it then? Well, that leads into our second reason. The Jews have always rejected the Apocrypha as scripture. The Jews always have. The Jews, by the way, who were entrusted with the care of Old Testament scriptures, have always rejected the notion that the Apocrypha should be included within scripture. That's why you will not find the Apocrypha included in their Hebrew Old Testament. It's not there because they consider it to not be scripture, to not be from God. When you go back in history, whenever a Jewish historian such as Flavius Josephus, more commonly known as just Josephus, when he gives a list of the inspired works of Scripture, he only lists the books of the Old Testament. He never mentions the works of the Apocrypha. In fact, on the Jews' view of the Apocrypha, after the overthrow of Jerusalem in 70 AD, the Jews went on to destroy books such as the Apocrypha that some were beginning to try and slip in as Scripture. According to Tory, you can go back and read, he says the Jews not only rejected the Apocrypha, but after the overflow, overthrow of Jerusalem in 70 AD, they went so far as, quote, to destroy systematically and thoroughly the Semitic originals of all extra-canonical, referring to the Apocrypha, literature. They wanted to destroy it. They wanted to get it out of their hands because they felt it was that untrue. Now, three, there's our third point. How can they be inspired when God was silent? You say, what do you mean? Well, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, from the last verse of Malachi to the first verse of Matthew, there was a period of about 400 years where God was silent. No man received word from God. No man heard from God. In fact, that's why they're referred to as the silent years. When would the silent years end? Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 through 6, it prophesies of the coming of John the Baptist. At that time, God would break his silence. That's why some historians feel that so many people flocked to John's message, because this was the first time they had heard from God in 400 years. And so God would break his silence just before that. Why would God go silent for 400 years? In speech class, when you want to gain the attention of the audience— 
to draw them to the edge of their seat, to cause them to keenly listen for the next words you're going to give, you are taught to use the dramatic pause. You say, what is the dramatic pause? That's a dramatic pause. Notice when I asked the question, you're kind of like, okay, what is it? And I didn't answer. That's a dramatic pause. It caused you to listen intently to my words. In the same way, God gave a dramatic pause before introducing the forerunner of the Messiah and then the Messiah himself. If no man, here's getting back to the Apocrypha, if no man heard from God for those 400 silent years, then how in the world could the Apocrypha be inspired scripture if they were written during that time period? They couldn't be, because God didn't inspire them. Number four, I find many of the Catholic Church fathers stated the fact that the Apocrypha is not inspired. Many of the Catholic Church fathers stated the fact that the the Apocrypha is not inspired. Now look, while I disagree with much of what the Catholic Church fathers say in regards to doctrine, pretty much all of them were doctrinal heretics, I can agree with their statements on the Apocrypha. Apparently, even these heretics recognized the reality of the lies of the Apocrypha. You can go back to the writings of Athanasius, Origen, Cyril of Jerusalem, Tertullian, and others who state that while they may be good for reading, and at points they're historical, they are not inspired scripture. Interesting enough, the Catholic Church Fathers would have disagreed with the decision made by the Council of Trent in 1546. By the testimony of the writings alone, they would have di- disagreed with that decision. And here's, here's food for thought on that subject. Why did it take over 1,400 years for the Catholics to finally declare these books as Scripture? If they were Scripture when they were written, why did it take them 1,400 years to decide that? That makes no sense to me. That just boggles my mind to think that something that they claim to be inspired scripture it took them 1,400 years to make that decision, which tells you it's not inspired. Um, number five, historically, the apocryphal books were considered good to read at best, but not inspired scripture. That was the view just historically. For instance, take the Westminster Confession, which talked about the apoph- apocrypha and said this, the books commonly called apocrypha, not being of divine inspiration, That is what it said, not being of divine inspiration. Are no part of the canon of Scripture, and therefore are of no authority in the Church of God, nor to be any otherwise approved or made use of than other human writings. They hit the nail right on the head. The writers of the Geneva Bible put a preface before the Apocrypha that these books were useful and good for reading, but were not Scripture and should not be taught as such. That's what the writers of the Geneva Bible said. The Oxford Anoted Apocrypha includes a note that says that at best, many of the books are moralistic novels, meaning they're just fiction. For instance, they said this quote, ostensibly, which means apparently or purportedly, but perhaps not actual, ostensibly, historical but actually quite imaginative are the books of Tobit, Judith, Susanna, and Bell and the Dragon, which may be called moralistic novels. That's what the Apocrypha calls itself, so I just find that interesting. I ask you, though, this, why has the Apocrypha been rejected historically as not being the Word of God? 
And I'll tell you why, because it contradicts the Word of God so often. Not only does the Apocrypha contradict God's Word, but it also has many errors throughout it. For instance, take the example, there's an error in the book of Tobit. You say, what do you mean? Well, let me, let me show you. Tobit chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 says, I, Tobit, walked in the ways of truth and righteousness all the days of my life. I performed many acts of charity for my kindred and my people who had gone with me in exile to Nineveh in the land of the Assyrians. So where did he go? He went to the exile to Nineveh in the land of the Assyrians. And let's continue. When I was in my own country in the land of Israel while I was still a young man, the whole tribe of my ancestor, Naphtali, deserted the house of David in Jerusalem. This city has, had been chosen from among all the tribes of Israel, where all the tribes of Israel should offer sacrifices, and where the temple dwelling of God has been consecrated and established for all generations forever. We're trying to get to the end of this. All my kindred in our ancestral house of Naphtali sacrificed to the king, to the calf that King Jeroboam of Israel had erected in Dan and on all the mountains of Galilee. Now, what's interesting, he mentioned two different events that were rather historical within Israel history. He talked about, at the first part, he talked how they went with me to the exile in Nineveh in the land of Assyrians. He was talking about the Assyrian captivity which happened in 721 B.C. And then at the end of it, he talked about the calf that King Jeroboam of Israel had erected. He talked about that. King Jeroboam erected the calf in 931 B.C., and he said he was there for that. That means he was there for 721 B.C., and he was there for 931 B.C. That's 210 years. But the problem is, is Tobit only lived 112 years. At the end of his book, whoever finished it for him, it said he lived for 112 years. How could he live for 112 years but have been to two events that were 210 years apart? That's an error. Here's an error in the book of Judith. It says, quote, in Judith 1.1, It was the twelfth year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar who ruled over the Assyrians in the great city of Nineveh. In those days, Arphaxad ruled over the Medes uh, in Ecbatana. Tana, I guess is how you pronounce it. Now, I don't know if you caught it right at the beginning. Nebuchadnezzar did not rule over the Assyrians. Nebuchadnezzar ruled over Babylon. And he didn't reign from Nineveh. He reigned from Babylon. So there, there's just a historical error right there in the first verse of the book of Judith. And then there are contradictions of Scripture within the Apocrypha as well. So, for instance, number one, you'll find that the Apocrypha teaches salvation by works. In fact, the Catholic Church will sometimes get some of their salvation by works things from the Apocrypha. For instance, they'll quote Tobit 12.9, which says, For almsgiving saves from death and purges away every sin. My friend, that is salvation by works. Almsgiving, giving offerings will not save you from death. It will not purge away your sin. So that's just a lie, and it's a contradiction of Scripture. The Bible says clearly in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace, a gift of God. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you can boast about it, God says, nope, that's not how you can get to heaven. So that's a contradiction of Scripture. Number two, the Apocrypha teaches the Catholic doctrine of purgatory. In fact, the Catholics cannot use the Bible to prove the existence of purgatory. You know what they have to go back to? They go back to the Apocrypha. That's where they get this doctrine from. 
Purgatory is not in the Bible. It's this place they claim that is a holding place, and then you have to have you know people pray for your sins to be taken away, and then you can go into heaven one day. That's their view of purgatory. Don't get it from the Bible. They get it only from the Apocrypha. And they'll quote a passage like 2 Maccabees 12, verses 41 through 45, which says, So they all bless the ways of the Lord, the righteous judge, who reveals the things that are hidden, and they turn to supplication, praying that the sin had, that had been committed might be, might be wholly blotted out. If you go down and keep reading, he also took up a collection man by man to the amount of 2,000 drachmas of silver and sent it to Jerusalem to provide for a sin offering. In doing this, he acted very well and honorably, taking account of the resurrection. For if he were not expecting that those who had fallen would rise again, it would have been superfluous and foolish to pray for the dead. But if he was looking to that splendid reward that is laid up for those, listen closely, for those who fall asleep in godliness, it was a holy and pious thought. Therefore... He made atonement for the dead so that they might be delivered from their sin. Look, my friend, nowhere in Scripture will you find that you can make atonement for dead people. You can't give a sin offering for them. When somebody dies, it's over. That's a very sad fact, but it's over. So it's clearly teaching and where they get some of their ideas of purgatory from. The Apocrypha also teaches, number three, the pre-existence of souls. For instance, the book of Wisdom, chapter 8, verses 19 and 20 say this, As a child I was naturally gifted, and a good soul fell to my lot. Or rather, being good, I entered an undefiled body. So the, the book of Wisdom is saying, well, I had, a, I had a good soul, and so I got to have a good body. And uh, that's not the way it works. And uh, so we'll just continue on. That's not the way God works. Our souls do not exist before we are alive. Number four, they say that God, within the Apocrypha, God created the world from pre-existing matter. Now look, the Bible says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible teaches that God made the world from absolutely nothing. The Apocrypha teaches that God already had this matter, and then he, he made the world from this matter. The book of Wisdom, chapter 11, verse 17 says, For your, for your all-powerful hand, which created the world out of formless matter, God did not lack the means to send, to send upon them a multitude of bears or bold lions. Notice what it says, which created the world out of formless matter. Look, my friend, there was nothing there. God created. God created it out of nothing. End of story. And so we could give many, many more reasons, but I think that's sufficient to show they are definitely not Scripture. Should we read the Apocrypha? I wouldn't. I personally would not read the Apocrypha, because why would I want to read something that directly contradicts Scripture? I, I just, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to fill my head with things that directly contradict Scripture. And so that's the Apocrypha. Is it inspired Scripture? Absolutely not. Not even close. So it's even kind of laughable that a Catholic would include it within their Bible, because it's so obvious that it's not inspired Scripture. So there's the answer on the Apocrypha, both historically and biblically. It's not inspired Scripture. 
that's that. Don't don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by the devil's approach to try and sell you a half-truth. Keep your eyes wide open and allow the Word of God to, to illuminate the lies of the devil. And hey, that's his goal. He wants to take the Word of God and try and turn it to where it's only a half-truth, to where, where you're only getting half of what you need. That's where all these modern versions come from, is the devil wanting to create half-truths. Let me encourage you, if you have any questions on the Bible version debate, we did a great three-part series on the Bible version issue, and those those would be episodes number 17, episode number 20, and episode number 23. Episode 17, episode number 20, and episode number 23. Go back and listen to those if you have any questions on the Word of God. Let me encourage you to do that, and that'll help you just in that area of Bible versions, Bible translations, etc., etc., etc. And so that's all we'll talk about about the Apocrypha, to, Apocrypha for today. I do want to give just a short ad, you might say, for an episode coming up. Um, the very next episode is going to be an episode entitled Best Games for Couples. And so my wife and I were big game players, and uh, we like to play games together. Um, uh, just anytime, especially sometimes with the girls, but mainly after the girls go to bed. And so we play games together. It's just a great time to spend together, and it helps to just uh, get you away from the TV and many other pros um, for playing games together. And so we're going to give you 10 of our favorite games. It's going to be a little different because we're not going to give you just the, the classics that most of you know, uh, like Uno or Skipbo or, or Phase 10 or Dominoes, or if you're a Monopoly fan, Monopoly won't be on that list. There's only like one classic game on that list. And uh, But the top 10 of our favorite games that we've found... And um, we, we were working on this list together and talking about it, and, and uh, each game was jockeying for position. And so we'll talk about those in the very next episode, Best Game for Couples. And so hopefully that'll be helpful for you and helpful to grow your relationship as a married couple. Until then, my friend, serve God and don't fall for the lies of the devil. He's going to pass so many things off and say, this is scripture. This is the word of God. You need to follow this man. You need to follow this commentary. You need to follow this and that and this and that. No, you just need the word of God. You need the Bible. And the Apocrypha is not part of it. So that'll do it for today, my friend. Keep serving God. Keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ.